If you would, uh, take out your Bibles and turn with me uh, to Mark's Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are going to be in Mark uh, for the next year or so, taking a break for uh, things like Advent and other um, um, sermon topics along the way. Um, But uh, as we turn to this portion of God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we also pray. O grant us grace, Almighty Lord, to read and mark Your Holy Word, its truths with meekness to receive, and by its holy precepts live. O Father, we acknowledge that Your Scriptures principally teach what we are to believe about you and what duty you require of us. So, Father, would your word and spirit have their way with your people this morning as we look to you and as we sit under the preaching of your word together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It goes without saying, but probably should be said anyway, that today there is widespread ignorance and confusion regarding the identity of Jesus Christ. But you know what? That's not a 21st century phenomenon. It was the same last century, and indeed it was the same in the first century. It was the same case as we will see as we walk through the gospel according to Mark. Now, a few weeks ago as I was beginning preparation on looking at all of Mark and how we were going to start and just getting the overall flow of this book, I I ran across an article and that very title captured my interest. It said, the title was this, 10 Counterfeit Christ Figures We Should Stop Worshiping. I started reading the article and I realized, wait a minute, it's written by the author of a book entitled The Original Jesus, Trading the Myths We Create for the Jesus Who Is. Uh, I actually figured out you can write an article uh, if you've written a book ahead of time. So, uh, great article, and I will commend it to you. In fact, uh, I'll probably link it to you. But in this 10 counterfeit Christ, here are the 10 counterfeit Jesuses. Guru Jesus, Red Letter Jesus, Braveheart Jesus, American Jesus, Left Wing Jesus, Dr. Phil Jesus, Prosperity Jesus, Post Church Jesus, Best friend forever, Jesus. Legalist, Jesus. Now, I heard some laughs. But you know what? If there, there are others on that list too, right? It's the Jesus you and I imagine, right? The Jesus you and I make in our own image. The Jesus that we wished he really would be. Who do people think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? Friends, that is the central question of the gospel according to Mark. It is so central, it shows up, as we will see, right in the very center of the book. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give answers. And then he responds with, well, who do you say that I am? We're beginning a quest today to know, and not just to know, but to follow 
the biblical Jesus. In other words, the authoritative account of Jesus Christ. Jesus, in other words, according to the Bible. It's the name of our new series, Jesus According to the Bible, an exposition of the gospel according to Mark. Um, Turn with me actually to the next gospel, uh, Luke. Luke, go to the end of Luke, Luke 24. Luke chapter 24, it's post-resurrection Jesus. He's been on the road to Emmaus with a couple of uh, uh, folks and they don't know who he is. Um, And he uh, says this beginning in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessarily that Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I don't know if y'all picked that up, but let me put it in language of the street. Jesus says, the Bible, friends, is all about me. The Bible is all about me. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And children, we haven't said this in a while, so help me out. How can we remember the Old Testament and the New Testament? Promises made and promises kept. The Bible is promises made about Jesus and promises kept by Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. In the Old Testament, He's predicted. In the Gospels, He's revealed. In in Acts, He's preached. In the epistles or the letters, He's explained. And in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, He is expected. Well, why study a Gospel? Why study one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Well, if you heard a moment ago, it's because the Gospels reveal Jesus. And many people, including those who sporadically, if not regularly, attend church, are remarkably ignorant of the basic Gospel events. There is widespread biblical illiteracy, even within the church. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, teach us who Jesus is, and why He came. And unless Christians, you and me, are absolutely clear about these things, then we are going to be very vulnerable to false teaching. What did we see in 1 John? The danger of false teaching. Why study a whole gospel? I was Someone told me this morning that they'd never actually been through a whole series in, in Mark. So why study a whole gospel. Well, the Bible is not a textbook of systematic theology. Is systematic theology absolutely valuable? You bet. But the Bible is written in books, each with a particular purpose and a coherent message addressed to a specific situation. And so studying a book at a time is the best way to study the Bible because each passage must be understood in the context of the whole book which contains it and primarily in the context of that book rather than in any other book. For a gospel, this means we're not dealing with this collection of unrelated stories but with stories that have been selected and arranged for a purpose. 
Why Mark? Why not start with Matthew? Well, for those of you that may have flipped through the Bible, Mark is the shortest. 16 chapters. But it's also believed, and I believe rightly so, to be the earliest. And it's the core gospel. Matthew and Mark, Luke, excuse me, Matthew and Luke use Mark. In fact, there are only four paragraphs that are unique to Mark. Now, take a look at your outline there. I made a mistake. I meant to say an orientation, the opening line, and an overview. So for those of you that may be following along, we're going to start with a brief orientation to the Gospel of Mark. Who's the author? Never mentions his name, but external evidence, the testimony of the early church fathers, points to Mark or John Mark. And it's nowhere contradicted by internal evidence. He's a relative of Barnabas that we read about in Acts. He's a traveling companion of Paul. He receives instructions from Peter. Peter refers in 1 Peter 5.13 to my son. We think that's Mark. And Mark recorded Peter's perspective on Jesus. Another way to actually title Mark is the gospel according to Peter. Because we will see how Peter is present almost everywhere. It's the perspective of Peter and Mark wrote it down. Well, when was it written? We're not sure, but probably in the mid-60s A.D. And the general consensus is that Mark is the earliest of the Gospels and that Matthew and Luke used Mark. And if it's 60 A.D., then that means it's 25 to 30 years after the event. And at that time, there are thousands of witnesses still alive who were there, who saw Jesus, who knew Jesus. And that is a great means by which we can believe the authenticity and truth and veracity of the scriptures. Because had this been untrue, there would have been thousands of people alive to say, not true, it didn't happen. It's the same way as if now we're thinking back to Cincinnati in uh, 1985. You know, 30 uh, some years back. I mean, hey, we can even remember back to 75, right? Good year for Cincinnati. And there are people alive that were in the stadium when the Reds were the big red machine. But this is not like thinking back to Cincinnati in 1715. No, this is just a few years after the events that they describe. Well, what is a gospel? What is Mark's gospel or um, uh, this gospel according to Mark? And who's he writing to? He's writing probably from Rome to Rome and thereabouts. And he's writing to primarily Greek-speaking people, people, though, who would identify themselves as Christians. And what is a gospel? It's not a biography. It's not an account, a a complete account of Jesus' public ministry. Remember, John says at the end, if everything was written about Jesus, there would not be enough room to, to, to hold all of the writings. But the emphasis here is on the last days and death. In fact, some have seen Mark and indeed other of the Gospels as passion narratives with a long or extended introduction. This Gospel is a brand new genre or type of literature. It's almost that the the events of Jesus, surrounding Jesus, were so new and so unique that there had to be a new, unique way, a unique message And I would encourage you to read later the something to think about quote, which does a great job in speaking of the gospel as a new genre. 
If it's not a biography, what is it? Well, most, most overtly, it's a docudrama, a TV news documentary where there are noteworthy clips as well as typical or representative events, speeches, dialogues, and commentary by the narrator. Although it's narrative, it does not possess a continuous storyline, but it's a collection. It's like a collage or a mosaic of discrete units. What we will see as we go through Mark is a variety of scenes. There's the crowd. There's the small group. There's the private event. Mark selected his material by two criteria, events that were typical or representative in the life of Jesus, miracles, the conflicts, and also unique, once-only events like the crucifixion. It's a fast-paced narrative with vivid descriptive details there are verbs used that portray action. Those of you that may be familiar with uh, Mark and those of you that will become familiar, which I hope is all of us, he uses the word immediately, immediately, over 40 times. Mark is so 21st century. He is the USA Today before there is USA Today. And it's action-reaction. Mark is a cameraman who will zoom in on Jesus as he performs a miracle or as he teaches. And then he zooms out and he gets the audience's reaction. How best to read or study or appreciate Mark? I believe it's this. To regard yourself as Mark's traveling companion as he assembles this documentary of the life of Jesus. Well, what's his purpose and what's his aim? His purpose is to present in writing the witness of the apostles to the facts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. His purpose is to put it in writing. And his aim is this, to show who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and how someone should respond to Jesus. That's an orientation to the book. Put on your thinking caps with me now. The sun did not shine. It was too wet to play. So we sat in the house all that cold, cold, wet day. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. This is George. He lived in Africa. When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another. Call me Ishmael. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, what are these? Opening lines of well-known stories, documents, and books. And so let's take a look at the opening line of Mark's gospel, or the gospel of Mark, or the gospel according to Mark. The opening line. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 1 is not the title, but it's rather the theme verse. Notice where Mark starts. Rather than emphasizing the events leading up to Jesus' public ministry in terms of a genealogy or family roots, as Matthew and Luke do, or in terms of a theological foundation, as John does, Mark focuses on the actual beginning. The beginning. 
Well, what does that mean? Well, it could mean the book starts here. Or he could be saying the gospel has its origins in the Old Testament prophecies, as we'll see in verses 2 and 3 next week, or John's ministry as we see through verse 9. And it's in that sense that it's the beginning of the gospel events. It's the beginning of the gospel. In Mark's day, this word gospel had not yet come to mean a particular kind of book. The gospel is a first century technical term. And it was used outside the the Bible in the secular civil world um, to announce things like a military victory in the Roman Empire. It was news of a military victory. It also was news announcing the birth of an emperor. Now think with me right there. Victory and birth of a ruler, a king. Could Mark right at the beginning be thinking about that there has been a victory over sin and death? Has he, is he thinking about that there's one who has come who is greater than even the mighty Roman emperor? Right out of the starting gate, Mark's style we see is, is abrupt and blunt because he asserts two things about who Jesus is. First, he's Jesus Christ. It's this gospel of Jesus Christ. And that could be a gospel about Jesus Christ and or a gospel proclaimed by him. And we will see that it is both. It is a gospel about Jesus and it's the gospel proclaimed by Jesus. And any way you look at it, it's all about Jesus. Jesus, a common name in the first century, meaning Yahweh saves. It's the New Testament, as it were, version of the Old Testament Joshua. But it's Jesus Christ, the anointed royal figure. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah, the one who would come and administer God's rule on earth, as we see in Daniel chapter 9. He's the deliverer of Israel from all her oppressors and all her troubles. He's the anointed king who, as God had promised, would come to judge and to save. He's fulfilling the promises to Abraham and to David, and he's going to reverse the effects of the fall. He's the one that Genesis 3.15 announces. Well, not only is he Jesus Christ, but he's the son of of God. You know, one of the Gospels, I believe it's Matthew, waits until toward the end when uh, he's revealed as the Son of God. But right off the bat, Mark wastes no time. It's a bold statement. Mark claims outright divinity for Christ. He is the divine, eternal Son of God. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? This choice of Gospel. When Christians choose, chose this word to express the essence of their faith, it was interesting uh, because it, I think it expresses really what's at the heart of the Christian faith. Whereas the Greek religions of the day talked about illumination and knowledge. I mean, we saw that in uh, this Gnosticism in 1 John, illumination and knowledge. And Judaism concentrated on instruction and teaching and wisdom. You know, all of these words could be used to describe Christianity, right? Illumination, knowledge, instruction, teaching, wisdom. 
But the gospel is a word that was chosen to communicate news. News. Good news. It's news about what God has done. What God has already done for you. If you don't take anything away but one thing, remember this. It's news, not instruction. It's news of what has been done. It's not instruction of what we are to do. It is news, not advice. The gospel is news about historic events and thus it has a public character. In other religions, the stories of miracles and other special events aren't really necessary, essential. Whether or not Buddha or Confucius did miracle X or not doesn't really matter. But if Jesus has not risen from the dead, then Christianity falls apart right at the very beginning. News. How many of you folks uh, are glued to a news channel? 24-7 news. And you know that big events, news events that, are, uh, that dominate the news for two or three days, then what happens? They fade away, right? I mean, who can even think about what happened in Charleston a few months ago? Who thinks about what happened in, uh, in the Indian Ocean with an airliner? Do any of you all? It's even hard to think about uh, September 11, 2001 until it's September 11. News comes and goes, but good news. The gospel, have you noticed it's fresh, it's new, it never goes away, it's always there being proclaimed? The news, the good news. While this is not the title of the book per se, this verse 1, Mark 1.1 nonetheless reveals the theme of the book. What's Mark's book about? The first, the easiest, and the best answer is it's about the gospel. The gospel that is primarily about Jesus Christ, but also the gospel proclaimed by Him or from Him. We've had an orientation. We've taken a look briefly at this opening line. Well, let's look at an overview of the gospel of Mark. Mark is an orderly, deliberate, purposeful in its organization and structure. There's two halves to Mark's gospel. The first half, or part one, is answering and asking the question, who is Jesus? It's focusing on the person of Jesus. Its focus is on Jesus Christ as King. And part one climaxes in Mark 8, 29 at Peter's confession. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, speaking for all the apostles or disciples, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The first half, who is Jesus? The person of Jesus. The first half focuses on who Jesus is. But right in the middle, those questions and the answers, there's the hinge. It's the pivot point. It's the basis upon which the book swings. It's Jesus asking the questions and answers being provided. In general, who do people say that I am? John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. Jesus goes on from a general question to a very personal question. 
But who do you say that I am? Peter answers, you are the Christ. And from there we enter the second half or the second part, part two. What did Jesus come to do? The work of Jesus. And the focus here is Jesus as the Son of God. The climax is the centurion's confession at the time of Jesus' crucifixion in chapter 15, 29. Surely this man is the Son of God. Truly this man was the Son of God. It combines both his person, the Son of God, and his work. So the first half is who is Jesus? And the second half is what did Jesus come to do? The person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And so we've seen how this verse 1 of the entire book introduces us to the entire book. So we've been oriented to Mark, we've read its opening line, and we've done a quick overview. Mark's Gospel. Jesus according to the Bible. Mark, the man. Who is he? He's Peter's interpreter. He's, he's writing an account of the life and ministry of Jesus, as it were, from Peter's account, because Mark wasn't there. What did Jesus come to do? He's going to reveal. Mark, the man, is Peter's interpreter. His method is this docudrama. His message is the gospel. And the gospel is centered upon Jesus. It's about Him and it's proclaimed by Him. And it's Jesus, the man, both Christ and the Son of God, His mission. And as we will see as we go through Mark, we will hear His message. And we'll find out that Jesus, in a word, is King. And as King, He brings the kingdom of God. Now, for those of you that have been in our classes in the morning... You've been getting familiar with a word. Catechism, right? Catechism. Questions and answers. Do you know a great way to look at Mark is it's Mark's catechism. And quite honestly, I really like this catechism. Because it's, it's, it's short. It's three questions. It's also first. It came before the Heidelberg and the Westminster catechisms. It's Mark's catechism. Are you ready? Question one, who is Jesus? Answer, Jesus is the anointed king. He's the suffering servant. Question number two, what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to die. Three, how should someone respond to the person and work of Jesus? He or she should respond by? We will find out. Remember chapter 8? That's where the book moves from who do people say that I am to who do you say that I am. Brothers and sisters, as we go through Mark, we will discover that we cannot stand at a distance away from Jesus. No, Jesus goes personal. He'll be, as it were, in our face. Act 3, scene 1 of Hamlet by Shakespeare says this, To be or not to be, that is the question. But at the center, at the heart of this gospel according to Mark, are these words. 
who do you say that I am? Now that is the question. The most important question that you and I will ever be asked. The most important question that you and I will ever answer. Because the answer to that question reveals our present direction and our eternal destiny. Shortly after we moved here in 2008, I visited our public library. And I was introduced to one book, one community. It's got various names around the country, but that's what it was called here in northern Kentucky. And it was about taking a a localized discussion of a book club and applying it to an entire city or an entire region. And the goal of this one city, one book, or one book, one community was to promote literacy and to build a sense of community. May God be pleased to make us more and more people, literate people of one book. May God be pleased to make us more and more one community in Christ. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your wisdom and sovereign providence that you have preserved this accurate account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that these are not just words on a page, but your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So, Father, as we embark on this year-long study in the Gospel of Mark, we pray that, we, that you would make Jesus known to us, your people, and that indeed we would become more and more literate in your word, and we would become more and more one community, a community that has at, at its core a common shared faith in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we cannot do this apart from your kind and merciful enabling grace. Would you do that for us, Father? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.